0: Neuropathways, a Cleveland Clinic podcast exploring the latest research discoveries and clinical advances in the fields of neurology, neurosurgery, neurorehab, and psychiatry.
1: Although Huntington's disease is conventionally characterized as a movement disorder, it is clinically defined by a triad of motor, cognitive, and behavioral symptoms with the neuropsychiatric features of the disease often preceding motor dysfunction. In this episode of NeuroPathways, we're discussing the neuropsychiatric challenges facing patients with Huntington's disease and the importance of a multidisciplinary approach to care. I'm your host, Glenn Stevens, neurologist, neurooncologist in Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute. I'm very pleased to be joined by Dr. Kasha Rothenberg. Dr. Rothenberg is a geriatric neuropsychiatrist in the Cleveland Clinic Neurological Institute's Lou Ruvo Center for Brain Health in Cleveland, Ohio. Kasia, welcome to Neuropathways.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.
1: Tell us a little bit about yourself, how you came to Cleveland, those types of things.
2: Of course, that's long. It's a long story, so I don't know if we have enough time. So I'm European, obviously, you can't tell probably by my accent, I am Polish and I am a cognitive neurologist from my previous life, from my education back there in Europe. I came uh, to US um, in 2006. It was a project that we had with Case Western Reserve. And to make a long story short, I met a very nice American engineer. And after a couple of years, I relocated to US. As you probably know, like any other international graduate, I had to start fresh, take all the exams, and decided on a new or second uh, residency program. This time I was looking at a psychiatry as my future career. And I think it was a good choice because from the beginning, I decided that I want to develop into more like neuropsychiatry to combine those two types of training. And it did happen. I did a fellowship in geriatric psychiatry at Yale. I really wanted to stay there, although um, in 2015, when I was ready to start, in fact, working in the field, Cleveland Clinic decided on establishing Center for Brain Health. Those days, Dr. Cummings was a director of a center whom I knew, and it seemed to be a really good fit for me. And since then, I'm here working for Center for Brain Health. Um, What I it's probably as close as it gets to neuropsychiatry. I take care of people with Alzheimer's disease, Parkinsonism, Lewy body. And since 2017, I joined the team, our movement disorders people at Center for Neurological Restoration to take care of Huntington's population.
1: Well, it sounds like Yale's loss is our gain, so we're happy. Absolutely, we're happy. Absolutely. They you
2: know are. it. They so know.
1: let's move forward and tell us a little bit first, before we get into the neuropsychiatric specific aspects of it, just Huntington's disease in general, so that our audience can understand the disorder a little better.
2: You know what, in fact, I have two stories for you. First, the very brief story takes us back to 1870s. Imagine a young man with a brand new degree, medical degree from Columbia is coming back to his family medical practice in Long Island. And he's very bright, very observant, um, but he's particularly intrigued with one family. He notices that multiple people in this family, they present more or less in the early adulthood with some weird changing, increasing in severity, uh, movements. He knows that this type of a movement, um, it, it was a term already coined for this term, type of a movement, Korea, but he notices something more. He notices that this Korea is in fact hereditary, that multiple different generations, they present with the same thing. Of course, George uh, Huntington's did not have a good grasp of genetics because, just to remind everyone, uh, Mendel published his first quote genetic paper in like 1866. So he didn't have a... Huntington's couldn't have really a good understanding of genetics, but he knew it's hereditary. And of course, immediately after publishing it in 1872, His publication was extremely thorough. So certain type of expressions, the terms that we use even nowadays come from uh, this paper. Um, And of course, he made a name for himself. Since then, this type of a hereditary type of Korea, it's called Huntington's Korea. And now let me fast forward 100 years. Now we are in 1972 and... There is this celebration of his paper and neurological conference. And during this Congress, um, people, neurologists from Venezuela, present a movie and a paper about multiple different small villages around the Lake Maracaibo in northern Venezuela, where... Almost every household, every family has somebody with Korea from um, movements, Huntington's, Korea, generations after generations after generation after generation. And interestingly enough, there is one person who attends this Congress, neuropsychologist. And this is a first link to neuropsychology in psychiatry in Huntington's. She has this crazy idea that maybe if we study those people from Maracaibo, because there is a chance that they would have both parents with a disease. So a chance to learning something about genetics of this condition. Yeah, it's a larger ch- chance, correct, to to find the, the gene. And of course, it's 1972. We have a good understanding of molecular genetics already. Just to remind everyone, 1953, Watson and Crick, well, told us how how really uh, genetic works. So she does go. She does go there and starts the Maracaibo study, which leads to first mapping, and after that, encoding uh, the gene for Huntington's disease interestingly of course like well there is a question why this woman is so devoted because it's not easy we know of course it's not easy to get funds for such a project and her project lasted like 22 years every single year the team was going there collecting epidemiological data blood um, for genetic analysis etc 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 even Neurological teams were joining the group to assess how people change within this disease. Um, So um, she is in fact a person who who was um, living in a family with Huntington's disease. Her mother and all her uncles developed symptoms. So she was in fact living in the sphere of eventually developing the disease Uh, so entire life life really well lived extremely devoted and she in fact created the whole culture that now we follow the culture of taking care of people with Huntington's disease
1: so we learn that it's an autosomal dominant disorder yes we learn that 90 percent of the patients are have inherited and sporadic is a small percentage of the patients versus some diseases it's a And we learned later, I guess, about trinucleotide repeats. Correct. And the CAG repeat length can influence the extent of disease. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes,
2: and this is a very interesting um, topic. In fact, we don't really fully understand how really, what is happening in neuronal cell um, of people with this particular mutation. But we know that The uh, gene, which later on was called um, Huntington gene, um, is located on a short arm of a chromosome 4. And in fact, it's a quite large protein, which is being encoded by this gene. And on a 5 prime ending, there is kind of an interesting repeat of three nucleotide CAG. And now a mutation is, in fact, the situation when this triple nucleotide repeats itself. Normal gene has this tail, in fact. So normally we have like six up to 35 repeats. But if the repeats keep adding, the... Protein, which is basically um, produced based on this gene, becomes extremely unstable and clumps and leads to neuronal demise, leads to neurodegeneration.
1: So let's move into your specific area of interest. I mean, obviously, the Korea people can see the Korea, but uh, before the physical manifestations, psychiatric manifestations may present. Much earlier. So let's talk a little bit about the neuropsychiatric manifestations of Huntington's disease and when does it start, uh, the implications of it, those types of things.
2: Uh, In fact, you know what? It starts really early. And here comes the problem that, of course, certain symptoms may, in fact, go unnoticed. I, I still don't think that we fully understand how how disease may present early, but we know for a fact that, that the degeneration which starts in our bra- in the brain of patients with Huntington's disease, um, we. We noticed it mostly in um, certain areas, basically basal ganglia, which this type of a neurodegeneration is responsible for Korea, But we know by now, um, through all kinds of a pathological studies, that the same type of uh, degeneration happens in our frontal lobes. So immediately, even earlier than, than Korea, certain type of uh, behavioral changes may occur. Um, and behavioral, I, I, I use, use it r- rather broadly, not only sensu stricto-psychiatric symptoms, but cognitive as well. So imagine somebody with dysfunctional frontal lobes. Sometimes people may become disinhibited. Control is uh, is different than it should be. Um, People become repetitive, obsessive, compulsive. So there is like this lack of a top-down control of behavior. So yes, uh, psychiatric and cognitive symptoms starts really, uh, really early.
1: So... Things that specifically we should think about that someone may have, other than there's a genetic predisposition, but when should we be concerned that someone might have Huntington's that's just presenting with a psychiatric disorder that doesn't have a movement disorder?
2: Well, or that's be... the
1: secret sauce? Uh, it's,
2: it's not easy. It's not easy because so many different things may influence uh, people's behavior. But uh, if we have a good suspicion that uh, that a genetic uh, mutation maybe uh, may may play a role uh, here. Uh, We, of course, look for certain changes in human behavior. And uh, we, of course, treat it uh, symptomatically as early as possible. There's another aspect which influences everything, but predominantly behavior um, and other psychiatric symptoms would be sleep regulation and sleep disorder we very rarely talk about it but the degeneration of a huntington type happens really early in certain areas which regulate our circadian rhythm so it may be a good sign for us to pay attention to how people sleep how they regulate themselves can they follow natural circadian rhythm or is it hard for them
1: So maybe it's a good thing for the sleep folks out there to be paying attention to this when they see this very disrupted pattern in young individuals with psychiatric disorder, because my understanding is that suicide rate, uh, even before diagnosis, can be quite High in these patients,
2: correct. And this is like really very early observation. Um, I believe um, George Huntington's himself noticed that people with Huntington's chorea uh, are very impulsive, compulsive, and um, they present with a lot of self-harming uh, behavior. Now, uh, now we understand it as a combination of a two thing being. Um, really quite disorganized in their thinking and having trouble with control regulation due to lack of executive function
1: mm-hmm. and so, bad yes. impulse control so impulse hey control. i don't want to continue this way just make the impulse and done
2: there is an interesting um interesting thing about this self-destructive behavior compulsive suicidality it doesn't go really with uh, with mood because normally we think about suicidal ideation as a byproduct of depression low mood um, not necessarily here many many times we see uh, people may, may present with such a behavior and their mood would be normal or unchanged
1: and i assume i may be wrong but do you see increased cognitive mood psychiatric problems with a greater number of repeats and then do you get anticipation with generations that the grandson would have more repeats than the two generations yes, before this
2: is something we learn over like 150 years observing people with huntingtons korea that indeed Every gen- consecutive generation, tend, the, the symptoms tend to present earlier and they tend to be more severe. So this is a general thing that we see uh, when we work with people with Huntington's disease, and it is related to a numbers of of um, those CAG repeats. So the longer the tail of a protein, the more dysfunctional protein. Thus, the symptoms, the generation happens much earlier, and progresses faster. Thus, more symptoms earlier, more severe.
1: So it sounds like you have a very difficult job. Uh, in treating the neuropsychiatric symptoms. So what do you do for these patients? How do you approach it? What do you offer? What type of options are there?
2: It is a challenge. Uh, although uh, there is um, there is a very interesting group of people that we that we put together, let me take a step back and tell you that um, uh, Huntington's organizations here in the, in the country are very very efficient and help us a lot. And the best example of it would be that Huntington's um, um, Disease uh, Society of Americas came up with the whole idea of creating huntington centers of excellence they support the institution uh, institutions who who want to participate But the the goal is to create those interdisciplinary teams for those people. The the requirement is to have a movement disorder, neurologist, psychiatrist, social worker, all kinds of uh, therapies available for the patients. So, yes, we have a group of people. We work together. We see patients together. We take history together. We meet and discuss, compare notes. We decide um, not only on on all the metric aspects of of a patient, but as well on a therapy
1: mm-hmm. and drugs that are available other than just standard psychiatric drugs, uh, any specific drugs for treating. Uh, Unfortunately not.
2: Across the field of neurodegeneration, we don't really have specific medication to treat specific conditions. In all aspects, we have only symptomatic treatments for Huntington's disease. It may change. I hope it will change very soon. There's a lot of uh, good development in the field of, of um, new treatments for Huntington's um, disease, genetic treatments. But as of today, we have two medications which are specifically approved to treat Korea. Or suppress control Korea I had better say and uh, in terms of psychiatric and cognitive symptoms we use medication that we have from other fields so no we do not have anything specific although I believe that if we are really really careful and prepare ourselves for treating uh, patients with Huntington's disease and all kinds of uh, symptoms, we can really help control symptoms well.
1: ECT have a role uh, with...?
2: Nothing that was specifically studied. Mm -hmm. Yes, it happened that in certain um, situations uh, we we referred people for ECT. Mm
1: so a patient comes uh, to be seen. Do you run multidisciplinary clinics? Correct. And who's involved with that?
2: It's our movement disorder neurologist. We have two psychologists. Um, recently, we acquired a social worker, helping us navigating through all kinds of, all kinds of a biopsychosocial problems because our patients eventually uh, need a lot of help with, with everyday life.
1: And there's a lot of moral questions uh, with this disease, of course, and and navigating the genetic landscape. Um, How do you guys deal with that?
2: Yes, this is um, um, another good question, because I didn't really mention all the members of a team, because we do have a genetic counselor who is working with us. So we do test people. We provide genetic testing. And now it's a very sensitive Subject, um, yes, we have testing uh, available. So uh, people who who are born in a families where Huntington's disease happened could be tested. Definitely, we utilize testing much more for people who are symptomatic. But yes, it's a it's a personal, private decision.
1: So children can be tested as well if the. Parent wants they the could be tested. yes
2: but it's a much more much much longer process and
1: and any research uh, at all in the area of Huntington's to share with us today?
2: Or? Yes, there is a lot of development, once again, with, specifically with, uh, with genetic ways of uh, lowering the level of Huntington production, so multiple different antisense oligonucleotide studies. Um, we here, in our group, we participate in a large um, observational study, it's a biobank study of a name Enroll HD um, and we are part of a Huntington study group so we try to develop ourselves into the center which is being recognized as a center which help not only helps people with Huntington's disease but is able to participate in research projects
1: So if anybody's out there listening that has Huntington's patients in their practice and would like to have them seen, uh I assume that your belief would be that this should be the type of disorder that should be managed probably at a center for excellence because of all the nuances of the neuropsychiatric.
2: I believe so. And um, we see it happening because obviously um, it's a, this is a familial hereditary disease. So many of our patients come with our cousins and, and family members. So, yes, we kind of treat entire families. And we still gather new new families, new people uh, are coming. Many, many Huntington's patients are being um, treated, followed, uh, taken care of in the community. Neurologists, community neurologists are, are doing a great job. We try to help with testing. So yes, we see, sometimes we see people, assess people predominantly for testing.
1: And anything regarding the Huntington's population that we haven't discussed that you feel is important for our listeners to hear?
2: Let me tell you a little bit about uh, novel things I kind of implemented as a part of what we do in Huntington's uh, clinic. I am trying to be more sophisticated in terms of uh, pharmacology. Um, being mindful that basically I use medication which which is coming from other fields of psychiatry, um, symptomatic medication, I try to guide myself a little bit better to to be more effective. The best example would be the fact that for this population, for Huntington's population, I try um, to do a lot of pharmacogenomics studies to guide myself by pharmacokinetics, properties of, um, of patients and to be able to combine or to pick um, better combinations of medications for them. And I do see the difference.
1: I'm really happy to have you here today and uh, share with our audience your thoughts uh, and look
0: forward to uh, continuing to work with you.
2: Thank you very much.
0: This concludes this episode of Neuro Pathways. You can find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash neuropodcast. Or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from experts in Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute on our Consult QD website. That's consultqd.clevelandclinic.org slash Nero or follow us on Twitter at MD. all one word. And thank you for listening.